Well, this morning we're going to finish out our series, The Voice, and I hope it has been helpful to you. I hope you've been here uh, the last few weeks to enjoy it. Bordeaux launched us out a few weeks ago, and then we had several more. And if you missed those, you can pull those up on YouTube. You can pull those up on the church website and catch up because I don't know that there's anything more important for a disciple than learning to hear the voice of the Savior, trust that voice, and follow that voice. And that's what we have been talking about over the past few weeks. And I think it's a good backdrop or foredrop uh, for the end of the series as we look forward to Easter because that's why we know we can trust the voice. Um, Jesus, our good shepherd, our Lord, went before us. He died for us. He was risen from death for us. And we can trust Him. He can have authority in our life because that Passion Week uh, that Brad talked about, it just it doesn't just remind us, it proves to us. Think about this. It proves to us that Jesus loves us, that He treasures us, that He believes in a future for us with Him. So we trust the voice. Well, today we're going to talk about this fundamental idea of not only hearing the voice, recognizing the voice, but actually following, obeying the voice of the Master. If I'm calling Him Lord, and I'm not actually following the voice, then I think you can see there's a pretty major disconnect. If He's Lord, then He's Lord. If He's not, then He's not. So calling Him Lord means I need to follow Him as Lord. Now, I'll tell you, for a few years, especially young adult, 20s or something, I, I always knew obedience was important, but there was this period in my life where I had some kind of messed up thinking about it. And, I, and questions like this kind of pop up when you think about this idea of obeying the Lord. All right? Does obedience gain salvation for me? Does obedience lead to my salvation? Or biblically, is it more accurate to say that obedience flows out of my salvation. And if obedience gains my salvation, then wouldn't it be more accurate to say, yes, but it's the obedience of Jesus Christ that leads to my salvation. He is the only one who has ever fulfilled the law, and he offered at the cross his righteousness to me as a gift. If my obedience gets me saved, I'm in trouble. I put my trust in the cross. I put my trust in Jesus but there is a connection between salvation and obedience, whether you, know, you get the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart. And I think there's a TV commercial a few years back that kind of captures this connection, all right? Uh, the commercial opens up, and you have a young man, probably an Arab uh, of Arab descent who, or Middle Eastern descent, who is wrestling in this commercial with a huge dilemma caught in the horns of a dilemma. For generations, his family and all the families in his particular culture have practiced arranged marriages where, you know, the parents pick out your husband, the parents pick out your wife, and the dilemma for him has reached ahead because he's, he's been in America far from his family for several years. And he's kind of enjoyed the freedom and kind of has a new perspective on things and, and is starting to think, hey, I should choose my wife, not my parents. And the dilemma reaches a fever pitch because you find him in the commercial at the airport where he is going to, his, his future wife is going to arrive that his parents picked out for him and he is nervous and frankly there is a look of dread on his face. He's not looking forward to this at all. And he clutches some flowers in one of his hands. 
And then everything changes. Her flight has arrived. And she walks into the terminal. And as she walks into view, she is a knockout. She is the prettiest girl he has ever seen. And in an instant, that gloomy, depressed expression transforms into pure delight. The thought of marrying this woman is no longer a burden that he dreads, an obligation that he must fulfill. It is a gift that he looks forward to cherishing for the rest of his life. What had changed? What made the difference? He had seen her. He had seen her. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Like I said, I had this view of obedience that was kind of off. I, I viewed it really as an obligation, as a duty going to church. I had to do that. That's what you had to do to keep your salvation intact. Serving others like yesterday at Transformed Dallas, that's something Christians are supposed to do. So I guess I better do that. But I did all of this kind of grudgingly, kind of because I felt like I had to. Serving God, yeah, but my heart was not in it really. I was like the guy at the airport before, grudgingly holding those flowers, offering them to the Lord, trying to live a righteous life because that was what I was supposed to do. But there wasn't joy in it. There was burden in it for me. What changed for me? I saw the Lord. I'd heard the story, but I finally saw the Lord. In fact, I didn't share this at first service, but I remember the moment I saw the Lord. I was at this Tulsa soul-winning convention. You, have you guys ever heard of that one? Went on for a year. I don't even know if it happens anymore. But I was there, and I was listening to a guy named Terry Rush, and he was preaching the gospel story, and I saw Jesus there. I got goosebumps, a chill up and down my spine when I realized that's the one that I'm called to serve and adore. And the big reveal turned obedience into delight for me. Look, over the, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about hearing the voice, recognizing the voice, distinguishing it from all of the other noise around. But if it doesn't lead to me following the voice of the one I love, then it's pointless. Drew Dyke shares words about this commercial in his book, Yawning at Tigers, he writes this, Once we gaze upon his grandeur and glory, obedience ceases to be arduous. Once we grasp his great love, serving is no longer a duty, it is a joy. And I think when we counter his beauty, his love, his goodness, his grace, the anxiety of obedience turns into pure delight. Now here's how we can sum it up. This is on your outline this morning. You can fill this out. It goes like this. When relationship replaces religion, 
then obedience becomes blessing, not burden. When relationship replaces religion, obedience becomes blessing, not burden. According to Jesus, obedience to Him fundamentally is an issue of love. Fundamentally an issue of love. He loves you, you love Him, you follow the voice of the Master. Motivation matters so much here. It makes all the difference. Love is what motivates us to follow the Lord, His love for us, our love for Him. Obedience comes out of that. Right? Don't take my word for it. Let's hear what Jesus says. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you, what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 9 to 11. And I want you to just think about this first sentence. I mean, we could just marinate on this for, for a long time. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Just think about that. Jesus is saying this about you, his disciple. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. He loves you. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy, yes, your joy will overflow. Mm. John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And then the Apostle John sums this up in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. In other words, love one another. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience at the core is an issue of love. When your eyes open, when you see Him, when you see the sacrifice He made for you, His grace, His compassion for you and for others, you understand the future that He's purchased for you with His blood, then you see Him. And obedience becomes joy. A demonstration of love. So yes, obviously, if you hear His voice, you need to follow His voice. Where He leads, you must follow. Now, this kind of footnote here, a problem with modern Christianity, or at least a very major strand of modern Christianity, is that we have replaced transformation with information. Religion does that, okay? Religion becomes about knowing stuff. Um, and so religion replaces relationship. Like, do you believe in the correct doctrines? Do you have the basic Bible information and you accept it as truth? Congratulations, you're saved. 
Can you check the boxes, the right answers that agree with the textbook, the Bible? Congratulations, you're saved. Okay, that doesn't look like what I see in the New Testament at all. It's not about information. It's not about the right answers. That matters, but it's not fundamentally about that, is it? Making Christianity more about information than transformation, more about legalism than love, strips the power out of our faith turns it into something different. And that's a problem. Know what else is a problem? It's a problem when obedience isn't moved by love. Because you know what happens when obedience isn't moved by love, when it's moved by fear or shame or guilt or something lesser? What happens is obedience then begins to look for the least it can do. Obedience, not moved by love, looks for minimums. And that is why I don't like questions like, is this essential for salvation? Is this necessary for salvation? Because those kinds of questions smack of the minimum. Do I really have to do this? Must I do, can I get away with not doing that? Do I really have to attend church every week? Is it an obligation to tithe? I'd rather not. Do I have to be baptized? I'd prefer not to do that. Obedience not moved by love begins to ask questions like that. Is this really necessary? Is this really essential? Love makes you want to do more, not less, right? Love makes you want to do more. I'm sure that young groom-to-be, when his bride stepped into the concourse and he saw her for the first time, and she was a knockout, I am positive he wasn't thinking, wow, I should have spent less on these flowers. I really wish I wouldn't have shaved this morning, and I, I really wish I wouldn't have dressed up this nice this morning. He wasn't thinking that love does more, not less. It wants to do more. And so as Christ followers who know Him, who hear His voice, who follow His voice in loving God, in loving others, for us, obedience flows out of our love for Him, His love for us, our gratitude for what He has done for us. And check this out. The Bible says that when God looks at you through the eyes of Christ... When Jesus looks at sinners like us who've been redeemed by his blood, we are the bride of Christ. When Jesus sees you, his face radiates with joy. He loves you so much. And your obedience flows from that. So love does not diminish the importance of obedience. Love elevates obedience. It connects my passion with my performance. It connects my spirit with my service. Now let's wrap up our series by going to the Good Shepherd Jesus and listening to his words on this as he paints an image of a shepherd and his flock. John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gates is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they follow him. 
They come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And then I love the honesty in the scriptures. Look, if you're making this up, if this is a religion that's made up, you don't add this part, right? This part is the real human reaction. Those people who heard it, John writes, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, right? If you're making it up, everybody understood. Jesus was a master teacher. Everybody got all of that. But John's honest. He's like, a lot of people didn't know what he was talking about there. So let's think about this. Let's make sure we do know what he's talking about here. For one, the shepherd, this is on your outline, the shepherd chose the sheep, not the other way around. So do I realize, do you realize that Jesus first loved me? Jesus first chose me. We make such an emphasis in modern American Christianity of accepting Jesus, a personal decision to accept Jesus. Like it's your choice. Yeah, you make a choice for Jesus, but we can lose. He's the one who chose first, right? 1 John 4, 19 says, He loved us first, so we love Him. He loved you before you knew Him. He loved you before you got your act together. Maybe you still don't have your act together. <laughs> he loved you before you chose to accept him, to be baptized into him. We love him because he loved us first. Amen? The shepherd reminds us of that. Jesus reminds us, I called you. I gathered you. I saved you. Anything that we do from here on out is a response to that. He has initiated this whole thing, and we're just responding to his great love. And then there's something else the shepherd says that we don't want to miss, and it is this very personal nature of this relationship that is revealed in this illustration. It's intimate. It's personal. We know his voice, right? Now, I'm sure you've seen this. It happens almost every Sunday at Preston Crest. Service is over. If you're like me, if there's a little baby in the vicinity, I'm kind of drawn. I like to look at the babies. And then we're all competing, right, to see who can make the baby smile. Bonus points if you can make the baby giggle or laugh. And then I'm sure you've seen this. If this is a game that you play, I play this game often, want to make the baby smile, the baby just sits there, often, until mom or dad say something. And then that little face just brights up. It just unlocks the heart of that child. The sheep know the voice, don't they, of the shepherd. And just like that small child, the sheep understand this is the voice of one who loves this is the voice of one who protects. This is the voice of one who sacrifices, provides for me. Oh, I love the sound of that voice. And then that part, right, in this intimate relationship, that part about the shepherd knows the name of the sheep. He knows your name, right? And there's something about somebody knowing your name, on Sunday mornings, I either drive through Starbucks or McDonald's every week. 
It's one of those two every week, with rare exception. Um, I get the same thing. I get a large coffee of some sort and an oatmeal. The difference is Starbucks is three times as much, okay? That's the difference. And it does taste a little bit better. I don't know if it tastes three times as much better. But last week, I'd been seeing the same uh, Latina woman serving me at McDonald's every week as I go through the drive-thru. She's up very early uh, working the drive-thru on Sunday mornings. And I was like, I've got to know her name. So I, so I introduced myself from the car. We shook hands across. You know, she's there in the window. And she said, my name is Hisela. And so this morning, for the first time, I got to try that out. I made my order. I pulled up, and she opened the window. And I said, good morning, Hisela. And boy, this big smile came across her face. And she said, yeah, I remember you. There's a power in the name Jesus knows your name. He knows all about you. And he calls you by name to follow him. It's not a generic call. It's a very personal call. Next, on your outline this morning, coming out of this, an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship exists between the shepherd and the sheep. Do I nurture my own personal friendship with Christ? Am I cultivating a relationship with the Lord? Am I learning more about Him, more what He loves, more what He detests, more what He wants, more what He desires? Am I learning more about my shepherd? Am I, am I learning to love and grow in that with my shepherd? Spend time with my shepherd. The sheep, verse 3, recognize His voice. He calls His own sheep. They're His. He calls them by name. I love that. As believers, we know his voice. More than that, we trust and we follow the voice. The next thing on your outline is this. The sheep recognize the shepherd's voice above all others. So the question then is, does Jesus have authority in my life? That's really what the word Lord means, kurios in the Greek. If I'm calling him my Lord, that means he has authority. Does he have authority in my life? They follow him. The word says in verse 4, they follow him, they obey him, they walk with him because they know him and they know his voice. And you see this throughout his ministry. Jesus was attracting all of these crowds. That's what happens when you can perform miracles, when you're healing the sick, when you're turning a few loaves of bread into a banquet for people. They want to follow you or rather be fans of you, I think. And you see that in his ministry, right? That there are all of these fans. Jesus is not interested in the fans. He's interested in having followers. And so he's always calling that crowd into something more, to walk with him, to let him lead, to let him serve. Everything that a disciple wants is on the other side of a decision. And the decision is, today am I going to follow the shepherd? What I want is on the other side of that decision. Will I make that decision? Okay, I'm the one in my family. I'm the one who walks the dog. You've heard me talk about Jane before. Our dog, Jane, is a 105-pound German shepherd who has the strength of a John Deere tractor, okay? Um, and that is why my attempts to outsource the dog walking to Isla or outsource the dog walking to the kids have failed. No one is quite up to handling Jane. Now, she's an obedient dog. She's a good dog. But the drama starts. If you have a dog, you can appreciate this. It starts as soon as she hears the word, walk. You must be very careful to avoid using that word in vain. 
because she will park herself expectantly at your feet or go to the leash and start rattling around with her leash. She knows where that is if you mention the word walk. Then when we go on a walk, what happens sometimes is, and you may have had this experience as well, I'm usually on the sidewalk and she's usually on the grass. And so we're walking along and sometimes she will get on the wrong side of a stop sign or on the wrong side of a light pole and that leash kind of gets tangled up there. You know what I'm talking about? And she's following her instincts. That's the way she wants to go. Something smells interesting over there or looks interesting over there. But she realizes, as I put a little resistance on that leash, that she is not moving. And she's a good dog. She's an obedient dog. And so she relents. She comes back around because she realizes, if I'm going to move forward, I need to get in line with my master. If I'm going to get where I need to go, I'm going to have to get in line with my master. And that's how discipleship works, really. You call Jesus Lord to get to where you need to go, to get to the amazing destination Jesus has for you. You quit pulling back, and you begin to follow in line with your master. A disciple lets Jesus lead, responds to Jesus. James uh, known for being incredibly blunt and clear in his letter in the New Testament, writes these words in James chapter 1. He says, I love this, he says, don't just listen. Information transformation. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. If you do, I love this part, if you do what it says, think about that destination, that journey. If you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then what? God will bless you for doing it. Obedience leads to blessing. It unlocks amazing things in the life of the disciples. So the shepherd leads his sheep to places of blessing beside still waters, as the psalmist writes, places of abundance. He moves us forward. And then there's this lesson. Write this one down in your outline. The shepherd places his, sh his sheep in a flock, right? The shepherd places his sheep in a flock. Do I have strong relationships in the local church. He has gathered his own flock. He has gathered his own flock. And let's be honest here, a lot of emphasis gets put in the Christianity of our day on a personal decision to accept Jesus, on your personal walk with Jesus. Yes, that's important. But you can't read the New Testament and miss the community that he places you in his flock, that he places you in his church, in his gathering, among his people, in community with other believers, right? Isn't that what he does? I mean, the, the New Testament is written to groups, right? Have you ever thought about this? The Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians. The, it's written to groups of people. And if we're not an active part of the flock, I'll just be blunt with you. If I'm not an active part of the flock, then my faith is not very mature. Because the shepherd wants me in his flock. Where I can support others. Where I can be supported. Where we can move forward 
together. The voice calls us into his flock. It gathers us into his flock. And about those sheep, about that flock, um, the sheep just don't just have a weekly meeting together, right? Hey, how you doing, Bob? How you doing, Larry? The sheep are together. They do life together. They stay close together. It keeps them warm at night. It keeps them safe. It keeps them moving in the right direction. It keeps them from getting lost. It keeps them close to the shepherd. What happens when a sheep is not walking or a lamb is not walking in a flock? They become food. Food for the lion, food for the wolf, an object to be stolen by a thief or a robber. They get picked off one by one. And we need each other. The church, this church, is full of imperfect people. It's full of sinners who have been redeemed, but we are on a journey together and we support one another. We hold each other up. We encourage each other. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, let me finish out with just, just a minute on obedience because that word is not a positive word, I think, in our, in our language, in our culture, but it is a word that we get. At work, we get it because obedience is tied to our money. The boss wants you to go to Tulsa and make a presentation. You go to Tulsa. You make the presentation. The boss wants you to wear khaki slacks to work from now on. You put on those khakis, right? You get it because it's linked to your money. It's linked to your salary. At passport control at the airport or if a police officer pulls you over, you get obedience. You know that they have authority because society for the common good has invested that authority in them. Well, what about the Lord of Lords? What about the King of Kings? The one who spoke the universe into existence? What about the one who then went to the cross and died for you? What about the one who rose for you to buy eternity for you so that you could be together forever? What about Jesus? Do you follow his voice? Do you walk with him? Even sometimes when you're wanting to go the other way around the pole. <laughs> do you come back in line and say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you're taking me to a place of abundance, a place I need to go. Maybe this morning you need to cross that line of faith for the first time. He's calling your voice. You're ready to step across. You're ready in baptism to wear the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for yourself and to begin walking in this relationship intimately with Him for the rest of your life and with His people. Or maybe today you just need prayers. Sometimes we show up on Sundays and we just need someone to pray over us or you might feel called to pray for somebody else. And you know, if you've been here before, we just open up a space here at the end where you can huddle up with somebody, pray over them, or ask for prayers. Come pray with me or one of our shepherds. But however you need to respond to the voice this morning, we would encourage you to do that. Let's be standing together.